Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews, and really we're going to be looking in chapter 12. Just two verses for a few moments in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. For all of our guests through the month of October, we actually have been studying Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we have been exploring the faith of men and women who are listed in that chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. Significant faith followers of the Lord. And what we've been trying to discover is what kind of faith it's going to take for us to be able to deal with the pressures and the persecution that is already beginning the type of pressures and persecutions we receive because we are followers of Christ. And we're already beginning to see that unfold. And we know that if the Lord chooses not to bring a great awakening, but allows our culture to continue to go the direction it's going, then that pre those pressures and those persecutions are going to greatly intensify in the, in the days, months, and years that's just coming just right down the road. And so what we're looking for is what kind of faith do we need so that we will not falter and fold under that pressure. That we will not bend and bow and break under the persecution that uh, we anticipate is going to increase as, as we move forward in, in terms of our culture and what we're having to deal with. And so he lists, we looked at the faith of Abel, we looked at the faith of Noah, we looked at the faith of Moses, just two or three of the ones out of that chapter. And so then in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I'm bringing all this to a close today, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, listen carefully what he says, says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run, the, uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let me just share with you what he's talking about here. Uh, in these two verses, the writer of Hebrew gives us three words. First of all, a word of encouragement. He begins verse one with the word therefore. Now, if you know, the word therefore is there for a reason. And really, he is drawing a conclusion. He's just laid out for us all of these men and women of faith. And he says, therefore... This is how we should respond. And so he says this, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. What does he mean by witness? Well, sometimes those who are part of Washington here, regular part of our body of Christ, our family, sometimes while I'm sharing the word, I will draw from what I learned from a lot of my African-American preacher friends and brothers in Christ. And I'll just ask the question, do you have a witness? Do I have a witness? And the reason I do that is because I want someone to testify. I want someone to say, yes, the truth you're sharing, I can testify that is truly 
truth. And so I may sometimes, when they're just sitting there like Baptists generally do, and just looking at me, I may say, do I have a witness on this? And then someone will speak up as, as a result of that. Well, here in Hebrews, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, look, i got a witness. And by that he is saying, I've got someone who has testified to the truth of what it means to trust the Lord God and why you can trust him and the kind of faith you're going to need. And by the way, the kind of faith, moms and dads, would you listen to me for just a moment? And also, uh, grandmothers and grandfathers, baba like I am, whatever the term they use, the faith we're talking about is the faith we need to instill into our children Because listen to me, we've already lost one generation. For the most part, we've lost that generation. And the generation that you saw up here is even further behind in understanding who Christ is and what he did for them on the cross and how they can have a relationship with God and be able to have the faith that when that pressure comes in school and that pressure comes from peer pressure that is all around them, they will not bend and bow and break. They will not fold and falter, but they may be strong and courageous in terms of their relationship with the Lord. And so he is laying this out. He says, I have a witness. And he says, not just a witness, I got a cloud of witnesses. So he's given here, given us here a, a what we call a word picture. So we just use a little sanctified imagination with me. And you're at the Olympics. And guess what? You are a participant. You are running a race. He talks about running the race here. It's called the race of faith. And all around you in the stands are fans. But it's not like the fans you generally see at football games at this time of the year, if you know what I'm talking about. Now, all these fans have already run this race. They've already discovered what it means to to live by faith in God. And so they're up there, they're cheering and they're shouting, and he calls it a cloud. So here's what he's saying. He said, look, I have not just a few, not just hundreds, I have tens of thousands of people who are testifying that if you learn to live by faith in God, you will not ever be disappointed. And so he said, we got this cloud of witnesses that are around us. Now, let me just share two things with you about this faith, okay? I'm kind of just putting this together real quickly as I'm watching the time. But here's what I want you to understand about the faith we're talking about. Are you listening? Say amen. All right. First of all, what we call the principle of faith. Here it is. It's not complicated. Faith is my response of obedience to God's revelation. That's faith. My response of obedience to God's revelation. See, God wants to speak his heart into my heart. God wants to speak his will into my life. So when I'm facing this situation, I'm confronted with this circumstance, and I've got this decision to make, God says, I want you to know my take on it. I want you to know my heart about this. I want you to know my will. And so in his scripture here, he gives us principles of life to live by. He gives us promises to live by. He gives us precepts, that is, words of instruction. Thus saith the Lord, his commandments so that you will know what my heart is. You'll know what my will is, and you will know what 
my word is saying. This is how you are to live your life. Your response of obedience to his will. But here's what he expects, and here's the key. He doesn't expect you to delay. In other words, once you know what his will is, you know what's right, you know what God desires in your life, in that situation, that circumstance, and that decision, and how you're going to live your life, God just expects you to trust him and obey him. Not delay and not to debate. It's not for up for debate. It's not where you can just put a, bring a whole committee of, of other believers together and say, well, what do you think about this? The scripture says this, and the Lord has laid this on my heart that this is his will in here, but, but what do you think? Now, that's, that's, that's not faith at all. The principle of faith is this. My response of obedience immediately to God's revelation. You say, well, that's pretty tough. Not if you settled this, the presupposition of faith. So, well, what's the presupposition of faith? There's something you settled in your heart and mind about God, and that is this. Do you believe this? Have you settled this in your heart? That the Lord God of this word, the Lord God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal God and Father, the Holy Spirit of God, that he is, listen carefully, all-powerful, infinitely wise, perfectly trustworthy. Have you settled that? Those who really live by faith, it's easy to give faith lip service. It's another thing to live it out. Do I have a witness on that, right? But if we have settled that issue in our heart that he is all-powerful, there's no question. He is infinitely wise, there's no question. He is perfectly trustworthy. Then there's only one way to respond. And that is with immediate obedience. You say, well, how do you know? How do you know if, if, if uh, I have settled that in my heart? Do you delay? Do you debate? Is there anything in your life right now that you know is, God, is not part of God's will for your life and yet that's still part of your life? Then you haven't settled that issue yet. You're still questioning that. You're still struggling with the reality that God is all-powerful. He is infinitely wise. He is perfectly trustworthy. And so the writer here gives us a word of encouragement. I have this, this cloud of witnesses saying, yes, if you will embrace that truth, you settle it, you obey God and just leave the results to him. That's all you have to do. Just leave the results then to him. Then he gives a second word. And that second word is a word of effectiveness. Notice what he says here. He says that, and same verse, verse 1, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. He mentions two things here. He says, first of all, you've got to, you've got to let, lay aside the unnecessary. What do you mean by that? Well, if you're running a race in the Olympics, what are you going to wear? Only what is necessary, Right? 
I mean, you, you're not going to wear anything in addition to that because you don't want anything to undermine you. You don't want anything to hinder you. And so you only wear what is absolutely necessary so you can run as fast as you can and achieve your goal because some of these things are, are decided by a hundredth of a second. We have a great ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. Love this ministry. And let me just sum up what we mean by the unnecessary with their words. Dealing with hurts, habits, and hangups. Hurts, habits, and hangups become those things that can undermine our faith because we haven't dealt with them in Christ. We've hadn't, haven't, haven't turned to Christ to help us find deliverance from hurts, healing from hurts, and deliverance from habits and hangups in our lives. And, and so when the pressure comes, guess what happens? We fold and falter. When the persecution comes, what happens? We bend, we bow, and eventually we break because our faith is so fragile because of the hurts, and habits, and hangups in our life. We need to deal with those. We need to lay aside the unnecessary life from our life in living for Christ. But notice the second thing. You've got to listen to this carefully because I want you to understand it. You've got to lay aside unbelief. Notice that it says here, let, it says, lay aside every encumbrance. And watch this, singular, singular. And the sin, singular, the sin that so easily besets us. Well, what is that sin? It's unbelief. Here's what I want you to understand. You listening? Say amen. Every sin is simply an act of unbelief. Whether it's an attitude in my heart, whether it's an action I take that I know God is not God's will for me to take, or I don't do something I know the Lord wants me to listen. Every sin is ultimately an act of unbelief. Here's what we're saying. God, I question your character. I question your integrity. I question your trustworthiness. I know you said this, but I think I need to do this. And so basically every sin in our lives, and I'm pointing back at me too, every sin is ultimately a statement of unbelief. We haven't settled anywhere close to believing that God is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and perfectly trustworthy in everything he reveals to us about life. And so he gives us a word of encouragement, a word of effectiveness, and now close with this, a word of enlightenment. He says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Wow. The author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, we could feast on that verse for weeks. There's so much truth that is there. And I'm not even touching on it today. So let me just touch on the two things I want to share. And then we'll close our time together. 
He is saying in this word, first of all, involve Jesus. You say, what do you mean by that? You start every day with Jesus. He said, fix, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. You start every day with Jesus, consciously, intentionally. But you stay consciously, intentionally with Jesus through the day. You live in his presence, consciously in his presence. When that situation rises up, what's your first step? First step is start with Jesus. And then stay with Jesus as he navigates you through it. That circumstance, that decision. He's never last, he's always what? First. You always start with him. You always call upon him. And he will navigate you through it all. How many of you love to put together those puzzles you buy? You know, 500 piece puzzles and 1,000 boxes. Yeah, okay. How many? I know, Kathy, raise your hand. I know you did. <laughs> you said, no way. Well, well for, let's just say you received a puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle, and they just dumped it out in front of you and then just threw the box away. Now, how do you really think you're going to put that puzzle together? No. If your eyes are not fixed on the picture, you're not going to put that puzzle together. You don't have a picture. If you don't involve Jesus, that's how you're trying to live your life. All the pieces of the puzzle of your life, each one's unique. If you don't put your eyes on Jesus, then it's kind of like putting one of those thousand piece puzzles together with no picture at all. You don't have a clue what this thing is supposed to look like. Involve Jesus, I close with this. You gotta imitate Jesus. It says with joy, he endured the cross. Now think about that, with joy, he endured the cross. If you've seen the movie Passion, you know what he went through physically, and then we know spiritually he took on all of our sin, but he endured it all with joy. Why? Because a new Sunday was coming. Notice he knew the resurrection was coming. Listen, pressures are going to come. I believe that with all my heart. I think our culture is moving in a direction where the pressures are going to come for all who take a stand to speak up and say, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're going to face pressures. And you're going to face persecution. It's coming. And our kids are. That's why we've got to build this into them. You'll have personal struggles. But if you imitate Jesus, you look not at the pressure or the persecution or the struggle. You look at what is to come. He will deliver you. Just like he raised Jesus from the dead. He will deliver you no matter what is coming. If you have a faith that you respond in obedience to his revelation because you've settled the issue. He's all powerful. He is infinitely wise and perfectly trustworthy. So Father God, 
we rejoice. And the fact that you love us this much, you tell us your eyes are moving to and fro across the earth. Your eyes upon every one of us. There's no, have no questions about any of us, but you're looking for those whose heart is completely yours. That you may show yourself mighty on their behalf. I trust, Lord, that as different ones make those decisions about you today or in their life, like these precious children praying yesterday, just bless, Lord, my heart so much that, Lord, we'll come to that conclusion of who you are and trust you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for coming and enjoying our celebration today.